Hello and welcome to History Factory Plugged In, the podcast at the intersection of business and history. I'm your host, Jason Dressel, and really cool pod today, Lisa Napoli, the author of the book Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and the Birth of 24-Hour News, is here to talk about, yep, you guessed it, CNN and the Birth of 24-Hour News. We don't talk too much about Ted Turner, but here's the thing. CNN turns 42 years old today, and it's interesting because I was surprised to discover that CNN was actually that old. Uh, We've worked with a lot of companies here at History Factory across cable, telecommunications, and entertainment, so I probably have an above-average understanding of the history of cable, and I did not realize that CNN went back to basically a very similar kind of scrappy origin story as ESPN, which is well-documented in the highly entertaining book, Those Guys Have All the Fun Inside the World of ESPN, which I highly recommend in addition to Lisa's book on CNN. But we're just going to jump right into it with Lisa Napoli and how CNN came to be, how it managed to hold on in those early years, and how it eventually evolved into what it is today. This is kind of a fun fact. As you'll hear, Lisa and I had this conversation a couple of months ago on March 29th, to be exact, on what was just coincidentally a milestone day at CNN. It was totally not planned that Lisa and I had our interview scheduled that same day that the network launched its new streaming service, CNN Plus, and you'll hear us talk a little bit about that. And what I didn't expect is that by the time we would release this podcast and you're listening to it to align with CNN's 42nd anniversary, that CNN Plus would already be a thing of the past and a part of their history. But yes, after CNN officially became part of the newly formed company Warner Brothers Discovery, CNN Plus was immediately shut down in favor of rolling CNN into a broader streaming platform along with sports, entertainment, and other content. So RIP CNN Plus, which didn't even last a month. And with that, enjoy my conversation with Lisa Napoli. Lisa, welcome to History Factory Plugged In. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So um, let's start with the origin story of CNN, what was the initial vision and and what's the backstory of how it came about? Hmm. Such a huge question because it's a matter of technology. It's a perfect storm of technology, both with satellite and cables, cable being at a certain moment in time, with Ted Turner being at a certain moment in his evolution from billboard salesman to radio station owner to UHF station owner to deciding that this collision of satellite and cable could create something new. And it's a surprising origin story because it's not what people think. People think when they hear Ted Turner that uh, he had some sort of agenda, that he was married to Jane Fonda, that he was some left-wing conspiracy, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't that at all. It really was an amazing moment in our evolution of communication. And Ted Turner sees that moment 
and created CNN. But I, I ask me more specific questions and I'll tell you more specific stories because it is it is a huge origin story about which I wrote an entire book. Well, it's interesting, right? Because like we've done some work at History Factory with telecommunication companies. And one of the things I think people don't realize is that the origin of cable itself wasn't really around content. It was about enabling access to television for rural areas that didn't have access to basic television. And then obviously that that evolved in, in the 1970s. And, and suddenly you then had obviously moving into the 1980s, you know, you had, you know, MTV and CNN and all these, you know, HBO, all these kind of blockbuster cable brands that, that we all now know. Um, but I guess one question then maybe to your point about Turner's agenda, was it, was he trying, because obviously before CNN, he had, uh, he had launched TBS ostensibly. Um, so was no, he, oh, actually, oh, I'm wrong. It wasn't called TBS yet. And okay. it, it was, uh, well, sorry, it, it wasn't TBS to begin with. It, it's so important to remember that when cable started, it was, as you pointed out, merely a utility. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't big. It was really a means to get a television signal to people who couldn't get it otherwise. It, it, it didn't have any sort of association other than literally a utility. And yeah. it, it was this perfect storm in the 70s when a couple of guys, they were all guys, um, recognized the potential power of cable. You know, it was the next generation of TV was evolving. People were in love with television. They were obsessed with television, addicted to it, both making it and selling it and watching it. And, and Ted Turner recognized that there was something there. Um, there were no big brands at that point. Ted Turner had launched, he had taken this little junky left for dead UHF channel, which they called the lunatic fringe of television, and hoisted it up onto the satellite to, to make it go around the region in the Southeast, because he recognized that he could get his sporting teams broadcast, if you will, to other markets, which would make his little existing UHF station a, a little bit more powerful and, and spread the gospel of this, these teams, the sports teams that he owned, but right. it wasn't, it wasn't a big thing. And that's why it's so hard when we go back and historically look at these technologies that we now see is so indelibly, you know, branded in our brains because they weren't that way then. Nobody thought it would work. You know, nobody thought the people would pay money for television. Why would you pay yeah. paying money for bottled water? Why would you do that? And yeah. so uh, that's that's where it, the world in which it came up. And he literally was um, one of the first to do that with this little UHF station. And it was from there that he decided he wanted to do it bigger and, and in a different way. He wasn't interested in news. Um, but news was the thing that no one had done yet. So that's what he decided to do. Yeah. And that was actually the next question I was about to ask. So you just got to that, which was why news? Was he a news junkie? Did he feel like there was this corporate citizenship obligation that he had? So what was the driver of why news? None of the above. Now, if you go back, you know, if you if you look at modern times, they'll say that you know, Ted saw the vision of blah, blah, blah. He didn't, you know, he didn't like news. He didn't watch news. Many people didn't watch news. There wasn't much news 
to watch. There was a little bit of local news, a little bit of national news. News was seen as something like eat your vegetables. And the rest of the time, TV was entertainment and sports. But what Ted was left with was knowing that HBO, which again, was not a blockbuster like it is today. It was this little sleepy service to put movies on on cable television. Hopefully people would pay for that. Um, Ted knew he couldn't do that, movies. He couldn't do sports because these guys were starting ESPN. Um, he he didn't want to cannibalize the old uh, reruns of television shows that he was playing on his what what became TBS. It wasn't TBS yet, and so he just literally sat, sat around with his movie money guys, and his money guys said, you know, maybe maybe we should do news, but he had zero interest in the news. Mm. Uh, in fact, he was anti news. Mm. Uh, that was partially in reaction to the fact that the news at the time was so limited and was seen, ironically, as incredibly biased. And Ted Turner was very conservative, and he saw a liberal bias in in the news networks, the three channels that owned the triopoly of broadcasting. And he figured, you know, he would give him a run for his money, which people thought was a joke, by the way, because who could possibly compete with ABC, CBS, and NBC? Not possible. Yeah. So, so, so he finds the niche and they launch June 1st, 1980. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts behind one of the things that struck me in preparing for this was I was, I got really distracted by the fact that they launched their first news with a husband and wife team of co-anchors. Like, I mean, that doesn't seem like it would be something that would happen today. Right. Um, Hmm. Maybe I worked in local news too long. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, I, but I'm curious about your take on that. Well, the, the the joke at CNN, and it wasn't really a joke, was that they had such a low budget and people were so reluctant to go work there. Not young people who couldn't get jobs out of school, but people with any modicum of experience were, were seen as lunatics for going to work for this crazy Southern guy who had this wild personality in Atlanta, Atlanta was a nowhere place, especially on the media map. And so the idea that anybody would go work there was amazing. Um, you had to have a certain sort of personality. And because the budget was so low, if they could hire two people for the price of one or for, you know, move in two people and, and get them both, a, a lot of people, it's also important to remember and some people listening to this may not realize that back then you couldn't work at the same place as your spouse. In many newsrooms and probably in, in other industries too, they were, well, let's step back even further. It wasn't like women were all over the workforce in equal number to men, not that women are equal to men now, but in the 70s, women broadcasters were few and far between, and they were just starting to get a little bit of respect. And certainly, you know, people of color, women of color, impossible. It was incredibly hard for them to get jobs. So here was CNN crewing up 300 people virtually in, in overnight, you know, over the course of something like 18 months. And basically they had to hire whoever would come work there. And in that case, um, you know, Dave Walker and Lois Hart came from Sacramento to work at CNN because they were, you know, in, in inventive and they didn't, they couldn't work together any longer in the market where they they had met uh, because of these rules. So here they were 
And they just happened to have been chosen as the debut anchors. They didn't know it until very soon before they went on the air. Um, everybody had just been maniacally rehearsing in this old country club that had been left for dead that was reclaimed as CNN's initial headquarters. And one day they were they were just informed, you're going to be the, the debut anchor team. So it was all, it, it is also hard to imagine how random all of it was, but it was, it was incredible. Well, and as you're describing, Lisa, it really does remind me of kind of the origin story of ESPN and how yeah. scrappy it was and how this whole concept of 24-7 sports and the, the sports that they were showing back then. I, I mean, how, it, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't exactly, you know, college basketball in the NFL, let's put it that way. So so to that point, with respect to, to CNN and this whole new concept of 24-7 news, uh, how are they filling the time in terms of programming? Well, they were even worried about that themselves. When they, you know, even though they had months of rehearsals or six weeks of rehearsals, they just didn't know how they were going to fill the time. And what they did in the beginning was uh, contract with a, a flotilla of people that would be sort of similar to having a big bench of editorial writers, you know, op-ed writers. And they would record basically essays with them uh, and have them in the can so that when there wasn't enough news, and of course there wasn't always enough news, and that's why this is such an interesting conversation to have because it gets to the crux of the existential dilemma of what is news and what was news in 1980 and what we consider to be news now are, um, you know, it, it's it's a very complex, uh, nuanced question. Question. One, one of the people who helped Ted Turner launch CNN was so skeptical about the prospects that, you know, said, are we going to have to set buildings on fire to have enough news to show? No. Again, it, it requires stepping back because now we take the, the availability of news 24-7 coming at us at all orifices from every single device so for granted. But back in 1980, no one imagined anybody would want to watch news. They didn't understand what news was the way we understand it today. So to your question, um, when they launched that first day, the other enabling technology wasn't just the marriage between cable and satellite that allowed a signal to broadcast around the nation and ultimately the, the world. It was that you could pull in feeds and shoot videotape in the field up until a few years earlier. The only way you could shoot from the field live uh, required massive trucks. It's not like today where you can pick up your iPhone and record from anywhere. Um, feeding in uh, video or film or feeding in live signals required such complex maneuvering and it was extremely costly. And up until the satellite came along, it had a ride over phone lines. So it's a very uh, complex system. Uh, and, and to be able to bring in a signal from another place didn't even matter almost what was happening from the other place. The idea that I could be standing somewhere. And that's what they did in those very first hours. They had people standing in places and it was so remarkable that that was a live person standing in, uh, you know, in Miami uh, or someone in Jerusalem uh or the, the New York Bureau, those are three of the big hits in the first hour, uh, seems so tediously nothing today, but it was remarkable what they were able to do back yeah. then. And how, and how was 
CNN initially received by the public and by the media industry. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly an immediate hit, was it? I, I don't. I don't know why it's called this, but I've heard the term that it was called the Chicken Noodle Network. Chicken Noodle. Chicken Noodle News. Um, chicken Noodle News. Okay. Well, that was from the people who worked there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it caught on. But see, this is another thing that's hard for us to imagine: is that when CNN launched in 1980, there were something like under. 18 million homes in the entire country that had the capacity to get it. Think about that. Under 1,800, there were only something like under 2 million homes that actually got CNN. Cable was so different then. It wasn't monopolized by just a few companies as it is today. There were tons of mom and pop cable organizations, companies all over, and they had to be persuaded to carry the CNN and they didn't want to, they, they didn't understand. Why would I, why would I give over bandwidth to, to CNN? You know, who cares about the news? And so literally CNN out of the gate had very, very few people who were able to see it, much less who actually tuned in. I mean, New York and DC, the two biggest metro areas couldn't get CNN in the earliest days. I worked in the CNN bureau in 1981, it was in the World Trade Center in New York. And I lived in New York, I grew up in Brooklyn, and we couldn't see it. We we read about it, we'd heard that this was happening, but we just didn't have cable then. So it was a slow, you know, in the internet industry, when I covered it for the New York Times, that we called that a slow launch or, you know, a soft launch. That's really, they didn't call it that then, but that's really what it was. It got... They learned, all the people at CNN learned on the job, and the viewers learned on the job, if you will, as they were tuning in. As more and more homes got cable, which they did, uh, more and more people were bored and flipping through or flipping through with the remote control, because that was being invented around then, too. And uh, they learned it. You know what I liken it to? It's like, remember what the first time was you heard about SMS? Uh, you know, now we call it text messaging. First time you heard about it, you thought, well, why would I ever do that? And how do I do that? And, you know, slowly but surely, and then boom, everybody was doing it. And that's exactly how the cable industry evolved. And with it right there at the beginning was CNN. Interesting. And, you know, the the lore, I guess, is that, you know, the the Iraq war is, is largely regarded as the sort of milestone turning point that really, you know, sort of catapulted CNN and and, and presumably uh, cable news and the whole concept of a 24-7 news cycle uh, more broadly. Um, but what about in the 80s? I mean, what were some of the either danger points where they almost went out of business because they just couldn't, couldn't generate enough, enough interest in revenue? Or conversely, were there some news events or other innovations that were occurring, your reference, I never even thought about your point about the remote control and how that probably just created all kinds of behavioral change among how people engage with content, like duh, right? I didn't even think about that one, Um, but were there other, whether it was news events they covered or other innovations or drivers that either almost killed CNN in the eighties or helped it hang on? Absolutely. Absolutely. To both questions. And yeah, I mean, I, I've been writing about technology for so long, so I love this so much because 
it, you know, it really is important to look back and, and, and it's instrumental to look back. And with CNN, there were milestones along the way. If you if you were to make a chart of the 1980s and news events at, and, and chart it against the ascent of cable television, they really are in tandem, but accidentally and, and lucky for Ted Turner. So basically in 81, you had the shooting of President Reagan. Um, and that was a major milestone that I write about extensively in the book because uh, it, it put it put CNN on the map with the three broadcast networks who really didn't take CNN seriously. Uh, yeah. People who did have CNN tuned in because a president had been shot. That was a very serious, obviously a serious occasion. Um, and there was a lot of unknowns and it unfolded before people's very eyes in a different way than if you go back and look on YouTube at the evolution of after, after President Kennedy was shot in 1963. So then if you march through the 80s, you have the shuttle Challenger explosion. You have Tiananmen Square. I'm gonna get them a little out of order. You have a little girl in who fell in a well uh, yeah. Jessica. And that was, that was even before the Iraq war, that was a major milestone for CNN because by then just enough people had cable and that was the, the perfect storm human interest story. And it, you know, literally when, when the people who started CNN on behalf of Ted Turner started it, their vision was that news would not be packaged up in a you know, three or four minute film as it had been, but that it would be something that you tuned into and watched unfold before your very eyes. So stories like that, the shuttle Challenger exploding, a little girl in a well, a war, uh, Tiananmen Square, all were things that um, people recognized, oh, where can I find out more about it as it's happening? I'll turn on CNN. Uh, and really, you know, that's what happened in the earliest days of every uh, a technology at adoption is that it takes something to sort of click people into action to understand how it can, you know, it, it's it's useful to them. And those, you know, terrible instances all proved yeah. victorious for CNN. Yeah. Because it, it conditioned the audience to tune in. Um well, and not and not to date. I'm sorry to interrupt, but not not to date ourselves, uh, Lisa. But you know, yeah. Spoiler alert: you already uh, you already uh, outed yourself that you were around in the '80s, as was I, right? And for those younger listeners, I mean, before cable news and, and the internet, if something happened like the Challenger or Baby Jessica, those kinds of events, they would cut to a news alert special a special report, it would be on for like 10 minutes or an hour or whatever it would be. And you might still continue to want to be watching that, but inevitably they would switch back to the soap operas or the game shows or Oprah or whatever. And then you didn't have anywhere to go. And I guess that was the hook, right? For people that were then enthralled and didn't want to stop watching the car crash, you know, or the human spirit story or whatever the case was, they got to continue to watch it in real time. But that's what you're saying is true, except that what happened with Reagan being shot in 1981 is that CNN forced the game of the networks. Mm, uh, if, if CNN hadn't been around, 
And, you know, and actually CNN hadn't been around, what was it, five years earlier when President Ford was shot. The coverage of that on the networks was completely different than the coverage of the shooting of President Reagan, not because it was any less serious. There's nothing more catastrophic than an American president, you know, being under attack, but, you know, financial markets, all kinds of hell goes crazy. But, but, but what happened was that the three networks saw CNN staying with the story. And so instead of their impulse, which was to go back to the soaps, which was making them the money, um, they couldn't because there was this little scrappy chicken noodle news covering the story. And even if they didn't cover it with the breadth or the people, I mean, they did, they did a good job. They held their own, but yeah, that's the other thing that's so interesting. And I don't mind doubting my age. I I'm very proud that I've been around <laughs> to see this all. And I'd love for younger people to understand where it all came from, because it is pretty mind blowing that in the last 40 years, every single thing about how we communicate, including how I'm talking to you right now has completely changed. Wow. How amazing. Incredible. Yeah, and, and and to that point, you know the the, the theme of, of technology, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. But we're having this conversation on a day when CNN is is launching CNN Plus, which actually, uh, full disclosure, listeners, was purely coincidental. Um, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. But what I wanted to ask next was how did then the emergence of the internet in the 1990s change change the model or change the product? That's such a great question. And that is an important question. But as important is the fact that a few years before the Netscape browser famously went public and all hell broke loose, all, all eyes were on this thing called the World Wide Web, was the fact that CNN got competition. And until CNN had competition in the mid-90s with the arrival of MSNBC and then Fox, uh Everything was different. Uh, CNN was simply the one all news channel that existed. And it was very plain Jane. Um, it wasn't a lot of shouting and there weren't a lot of celebrities. And then as soon as the other two channels arrived, it, it changed everything about the tone and tenor of news and cable news. And then as you point out a few years later, uh, the web started to take its its place in the universe again. It didn't, you know, overnight change everything. In fact, very much so. It did not. People were very confused by it. They didn't know what it was for, um, especially news organizations. They didn't know how to grapple with it. But once it started uh, strangleholding our universe, uh, it, it did change everything because it ratcheted up the speed. So that, that collision of those two things really were CNN 2.0, if you will. Up until that point, CNN was just finding its way in, in, in its own world, but also the world was finding its way in understanding just what it meant to be involved with uh, the news in the way that that 24-hour news was allowing it. So it's it's uh, really an incredible march. And is it, fa- is it fair to say that CNN's transition from or I shouldn't say transition, but CNN's kind of broadening of platform from cave 24-7 cable to internet was less less revolutionary for them and maybe an easier adaptation than, say, the traditional newspapers like the New York Times or Washington Post, who were still very much functioning on that kind of cycle of we pump out a printed newspaper every day to now with the web, it's 24-7 or... 
or no? You know, I, I worked uh, yes and no. Um, you know, I think it, it confused everyone. I think that it's fair to say that broadcasters, a cable casters, had a slightly easier time of it. But, you know, in the beginning of it, for everyone, they were all concerned about their core audiences. No one wanted to eradicate their core audience, their core money. And, you know, I worked at MSNBC after I left the New York Times at the New York Times first website uh, in the late 90s. Uh, and MSNBC was designed, if people remember this, to be a hybrid. It was an MSNBC, MSNBC.com. And the idea was that they both played off each other and, and, and didn't cannibalize each other. Whereas everybody else really was still a little worried about were we going to cannibalize our core business. So I think that the CNN people were probably a little bit better equipped in terms of the mindset of the speed. Uh, but it, it, everybody was so freaked out about how to address it. Of course, they had to hire people to address it. They had to create new technologies to parse content over. Um, it wasn't it wasn't as simple as just oh now we're going to move it all over to the web. Of course, and so it, it, it's more complex than it seems seems in the background. And all of the, you know all the big papers have been playing with um, technologies, you know, the New York Times famously had a fax service where if you were on a cruise ship, you could get a fax of it. So everybody was dancing around with all these new technologies, uh, but definitely it caused it caused havoc and created a whole new ecosystem of, of the news industry and a whole new job category. I was the first person in the union at the New York Times um, as the first reporter on the web um, when the union didn't even understand what the web was, uh, or that there were people even working in that in that sphere, so it's all a big mashup, you know. Interesting, yeah. And and you you alluded to this before, Lisa, but I wanted to go back to it. The the you use the term celebrities, but in my mind, I was thinking more about kind of the the concept of personalities. And as I think about sort of the history of CNN, you know, I think uh, you know, earlier on, you know, there was Larry King and, you know, Wolf Blitzer's been there for seemingly forever. And you've got Anderson Cooper now and Aaron Burnett and others. You know, there's this whole, again, you know, kind of to your point, comparing it to ESPN, um, you know, there's this whole sort of cast of, of, of personalities, if you will. And I, I'm wondering, you know, what your take is on that and how that played into CNN's approach and what have the implications of that been in terms of how we consume news? I hate to keep saying the same thing over and over again, but everything was different back then. You know, there were, yes, there were three marquee anchormen on the evening news, you know, occasionally they were paired on the, on the, on the traditional network evening news. Yeah. But when CNN started, it really was just a rotating cast of journeymen, journeywomen, people. No one was vavumi. Most of them, you know, people, certainly people had preferences for anchors. They liked some over others. But it, what we weren't in a celebrity journalism branded culture. Wolf Blitzer became a celebrity. Uh, Bernard Shaw, who was the marquee anchor, you know, the, the main anchor, person at CNN from the get-go. And then, of course, he elevated to stardom when his calm, cool demeanor survived through the whole Baghdad incidents. Um, mm. You know, he he was a celebrity, but he wasn't the way we don't, 
he, he would have been horrified and appalled by the way things are now. The whole media ecosystem is different now. It's about your brand. Um, you know, yes, when, when Ted Turner hired Larry King in 1985, it was very controversial for the people within CNN because they didn't want that kind of celebrity muscle. That was just not interesting to them. They were very purist news people. And back then, purist news person did not mean calling attention to yourself, you know, going out and giving speeches, being on the tabloid pages, not at all. So the whole media ecosystem has changed, some might say devolved over the years. And again, once the competition came in Fox and MSNBC, you know, I liken it. I wrote an earlier book about McDonald's, which is really about Joan Kroc, the philanthropist who spouted, spawned from McDonald's. Her husband helped create McDonald's. And when, when more and more fast food places came along, a hamburger is a hamburger, a hamburger, it's all packaging and marketing. And that's exactly what happened with CNN. CNN was just news, you know, plain Jane news, no Jane Fonda reference intended there. Um, but then um, but then that evolved and had to evolve the minute there was competition because it had to get sexy. It had to get name driven. And that, again, was in tandem with the whole evolution of celebrity journalism that rose up in the 90s. Uh, about Cokie, Ro- you know, Cokie Roberts was a person like that who crossed over media. Um, the ethos of all of it, the ethics of all of all of it, was completely different then, and that whole world just didn't didn't exist. Yeah, and I and, and as I think about cable news, which I now make a point candidly not not to watch. Um, <laughs> D- ditto, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, what drives me crazy, of course, is the distinction between news and opinion and 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 cable news has completely conflated the two uh i mean and there's no distinction and of course it's not it's not branded there's no labeling you know when you're watching it like this is opinion um so let me tell you why that's happened may i yeah i mean the reason that happened is because it's cheaper to have me come on a, a show and spout some opinion than it is to have me go to stand in Ukraine and report on the war. Uh, and, you know, of course, the happy medium, if there is such a thing in between that is, is allowing you broadcast journalism costs money to produce. And it's much cheaper to have somebody shouting at each other than it is. And, and back to your earlier point, when there isn't something happening, when there isn't a war or a combative president or fill in the blank, you know, pandemic, um, you need to fill the time. And so what better way to fill the time, and I'm being ironic, than having people yelling at each other. So yes, it's a t- it's devolved into that. And again, that happened because the competition came along and they all recognized that there was no way to fill the time with real broadcast journalism because real broadcast journalism takes a lot of effort. And that's, and, and a lot of effort and money. And so that was the easy way to deal with it. I'm sorry to have interrupted you, but it's just important to point that out. No, it's an important point. And and it's a good segue to to my next sort of question, which is, again, you know, again, one of our other sort of themes of the conversation has been, it's easy to look at these things in in sort of retrospect and, and, and kind of have, have a perspective on it. But as you, as you noted before, um, the origins of CNN were, uh, not politically motivated. If anything, uh, Ted Turner was, you know, 
wanting a network that was less biased by his own judgment of the sort of mainstream kind of kind of big three news networks. Um, obviously, now when we think about CNN and MSNBC and, and Fox, we have very strong political associations with those brands. And I'm curious what your 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 take is on sort of how that evolved. Um, you know, did 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 did, five, did any of the others sort of start with a more kind of political agenda, and then based on that, did CNN then sort of adapt to their position in the marketplace? Like, how did how did how did all of this kind of evolve or devolve over the last 30 years? Well, exactly. I mean, Fox came along, Roger Ailes made a decision with Murdoch, who'd been, you know, going toe to toe with Ted Turner for years in, you know, trying to connect with him, tie up with him and then combative with each other. And Ailes came along, launched Fox News with a decided point of view uh, MSNBC did not launch with a decided point of view. It Its point of view when it launched was that marriage of technology that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And it was, it really was the existence of Fox that forced both of them to, to take sides, if you will. They had to, they had to sort of pledge allegiance in some direction. If, I mean, if they hadn't pledged allegiance in some direction, they would have been squashed. And so I'm not saying that it's right or that I agree with it, but they had to do something back to the McDonald's analogy to sort of to differ to differentiate themselves from the crazy menacing forces of Fox, which was so crazy that it claimed that it wasn't biased, which is that's a whole other conversation, or maybe it is this conversation. So, so yeah, it, it, they Fox really forced the issue and we'll never know what would have happened if Fox had just come on the scene because Murdoch wanted his own 24 hour cable news network and they hadn't taken sides, but they did. And that's, that's what's happened as a consequence of it. And now in the post Jeff Zucker era, who knows what will happen? My guess is that it has to stay the way it's become for it to continue to compete with with Fox. But as you pointed out before, too, I think many of us are turning it off uh, because it's just I I don't want to have to listen to that. I'd rather read my news um, personally. And I I now read my news. I read The Economist because that and The New York Times and The Wall Street Journal. I like I like those Washington Post. I'm not a, I don't like to consume broadcasting, but that's me. And I think a lot of people are, are questioning how they get their news and how the younger generation decides news that's unbiased or appropriate for them. You know, when I first started out, the big question was, is news what you need to know or what you want to know? You know, if all I want to listen to is hockey news today, I could be consumed with the world of hockey and never know anything else that's going on. Is that good for a free democratic society? I don't think so, but that's what the ecosystem that we exist in today has become, which is actually you know similar to what it was back before broadcasting when newspapers were all there were, and newspapers were very, very political, very pointedly. Uh, you read a particular newspaper because it espoused a particular point of view that you wanted to to be up on or or to participate in. So I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. but that's a good. Uh, you make a good point that sort of po- political alliances and affiliations is not new to these networks. It is something that has been going on literally for for hundreds of years. Um, 
So, the, so last question, Lisa. So, as as we mentioned, today's kind of a, a, I guess it's a historic day. We'll see how historic I guess in the future. But their CNN's had an interesting year. Uh, their viewership has dropped dramatically. I read recently, I think in Forbes, that their primetime viewership is down like seventy cent, seventy percent since twenty twenty, uh, when obviously everyone was was hyped up on on presidential elections and pandemics. Um, as you mentioned, Jeff Zucker, the company's president, had to resign earlier this year due to a consensual relationship. Kind of ironic, given what we were talking about a few moments ago with their the launch of their 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 uh, spouse co-anchors, um, and uh, and they're soon going to be part of a different corporate conglomerate when you know the parent company Warner Media merges with with Discovery, which is expected to happen, um, I think, just a couple just a few weeks from now. Um, and the company's putting big bets on on this transition to streaming uh, with CNN Plus. So, curious what you anticipate in terms of what that shift may entail and how it may change how news is is covered and distributed and consumed. Oh, wow! If I knew, if I had that crystal ball, um, you know, I've just seen so much over the last forty years. Uh, it just seems like a natural evolution that that CNN would go to streaming, that everything is moving towards streaming. I worry that it's so much of it is just parroting what is said in other media. Uh, you know, people say to me all the time, well, there are more writers than ever before. Really, there might be more writers than ever before, but they're all using the same information and repackaging it. Um, but but what happens down the road? I don't know. I, I It just doesn't feel as sexy or as exciting as it did back in 1980 when Ted Turner launched it standing outside that old country club and said, we're going to stay on till the end of the world. I mean, it feels like the end of the world is here and we're still staying on the air and we're just finding a new way to get to you because we have to, because that's, you know, that's what the the societal and technological expectations are now. Streaming is the hot thing. Um, so that's a long way of saying, again, I just, I'm not, I really don't know what will happen next, but you know, it will be interesting and um, habits are changing and. Yeah. Well, and I think to sum it up, like what, what you've really uh, been able to bring into focus is how the evolving technology is really changing how we consume content and then how in turn it's changing us. So it's a really interesting, um, a really interesting insight. So Lisa, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, your perspective. Uh, before we let you go, do you have a, a favorite CNN story that you didn't get to share? Wow. Yeah, there are so many, but I would say that first day when Ted Turner stood there and uh, had the the marching band that he'd hired for the day to play the Star Spangled Banner in the drum roll up until the official launch of CNN. While they were rehearsing, he had them play the song that uh, was played as the Titanic was sinking <laughs> and recorded it and supposedly put that away in a vault, not didn't, supposedly he did put it away on videotape in a vault for the day that the apocalypse came. Um, and uh, it's it's so interesting to know that, that CNN almost failed five times before it actually launched. And uh, one of them involved Ted Turner going adrift at sea in a yachting race. It's a great story. Ted Turner is an amazing character from the 20th century, an incredible entrepreneur, wild man, uh, couldn't exist today. 
Um, there's so many stories. Yeah, that's a tough. That's one. a good one. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I see, a, I see a future social media post. What does CNN and the Titanic have in common? So, so we'll end it there. So, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Lisa Napoli. Lisa, by the way, if you're interested, because she's clearly a great storyteller and knows her stuff, has written other books in addition to Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and The Birth of 24-Hour News. She's also written a book on Joan Kroc called Ray and Joan, The Man Who Made the McDonald's Fortune and The Woman Who Gave It All Away, Radio Shangri-La about the impact of media at the dawn of democratic rule in the once secluded Himalayan kingdom of Bhutan, and Susan, Linda, Nina, and Koki, the extraordinary story of the founding mothers of NPR, which came out last year. So you can learn more about those books and other things about Lisa at lisanapoli.com. All right, that's it. We are out of here. We will be back soon with another episode. Thanks again to Lisa Napoli. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for another History Factory plugged in episode where we will examine another story from the annals of business history. Until then, I'm Jason Dressel. Thanks for listening.